Yo, this is Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 225. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Every second of every day, your restaurant is talking to you. Between the chatter online, interacting with your POS system, or making transactions with your credit card processor, these are all opportunities to collect data, crucial data that can help you make the right decisions in your restaurant. To learn more, schedule a demo by going to resources.upserve.com slash restaurant unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Frank Bonanno. Chef, tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. Oh, I feel unstoppable. Yes, that is what I like to hear. So Chef Frank Bonanno found his passion early, working in restaurants most of his life. After he graduated from the uh, School of Finance at the University of Denver, Bonanno revisited that passion for the restaurant industry by earning a second degree at the Culinary Institute in Hyde Park, New York. In the late 90s, when he wasn't being paid to cook, he was staging throughout the cities in Europe and in the States. In 2001, he opened Mizuna, rated by Zagat as one of the top restaurants, not just in Colorado, but the nation. Today, under his restaurant group, Banana Concepts, Chef operates a total of 10 concepts in the Denver, Colorado area. On top of all of this, he's the author of two cookbooks and the host of Chef Driven on PBS. Chef, I don't don't know how you do it all man you're everywhere you're just crushing it and uh i, I know this is going to be a great interview uh so let's just get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra hit me uh, work hard and enjoy your family that's how i do it i just try and work hard and be passionate about what i'm doing Every day. I love it. And uh, I mean, at the core of it all, isn't that what it's about? Just loving what you do. And, and uh, I've learned from so many people I've spoken to that unless you don't love this work, you, you won't be successful. Um, and I don't know how you find the time to do all the things you do. I was watching a video where you, you make all of your kids games. You go to the gym every morning. You play squash every night. You golf. You you own and operate 11 up or 10 now soon to be 11 concepts we're gonna learn all about this stuff man um but you are definitely an impressive individual so let me ask you chef um at the core of it all uh what's your purpose what's your why what makes you get out of bed every day what drives you um what drives me is that i love what i'm doing i love the people i work with and you know, it's it's fun. I I enjoy every day. I mean, well, I don't enjoy every day, <laughs> but I I try and enjoy every day, and I feel challenged every day. I work with my wife, and we are a great team. So I have a great partner that I I love working with. And chef, I love the emphasis you put on family and just enjoying what you do. And I think that's just so important. I think sometimes people, they get, they get caught up in a concept or something they want their restaurant to be. And with you, it seems like a lot of what you're doing is just tied into the, the, your core beliefs and what you believe the world needs and what's right. Would you say that's true? 
Yeah. I also you can just call me Frank. Okay. <laughs> I prefer Frank <laughs> over Chef. You got it. And um, I think that the reason we have so many different concepts is because I didn't. I think I would get bored if I kept doing the same thing. So it, to me, it's always been a challenge to just try and do something different. And I think it challenges the people I work with. And I think it's more fun to try new things and to try and really nail something different. Now, That's what gives me the challenge. Now, this uh, habit of getting bored, is this something you've kind of had throughout life? Because you went to school for finance, right? And then how long after graduating did you know you were going to go to school for culinary arts? Was it something that was immediate? Were you working in finance and just were you not happy? Like what path did you take? Um, I graduated from college. I couldn't find a job and I cooked my way through college. Okay. <laughs> so when I couldn't find a job other than bank teller, I just immediately went back to cooking and I was cooking and I really loved it. And I had known I'd love cooking, you know, my whole life pretty much. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm Excuse what year did you graduate? I'm curious, so I can put a timeline. I graduated. I graduated in 1990. Oh wow! So so I'm uh, old. <laughs> but well, no, I think it's impressive that um, you're able to accomplish as much as you have. Uh, you went back to school. I'm assuming you were there for at least two years. How? When did you graduate from the Culinary Institute? Is that 1990? I graduated from uh, 95. Okay, so I went. I worked for about three and four years, and then went back to culinary school because basically I saw that where there were people around me making more money only because they had the culinary degree. Mm. And I figured if I'm good, I'm good at what I'm doing. If I had this degree, I could make more money. And that's really when I saw it as a career path. No, I just want to make an example of you, chef, because you graduated in 95 and that the later 95 or the later nineties, you were traveling and getting experience. Um, not only, I mean, it's, I know you were probably trying to get the, you know, the techniques and learn about, well, I'll just let you tell me. What were you trying to do in that five years where you were traveling and getting all that work experience? Um, I, I felt like that that was just a great... I had an unbelievable boss at the time. And every time I tried to quit because I wanted better experience, <laughs> he'd really push me to go do something for a year or six months or whatever it was. And... You know, that enabled me to, you know, I was pretty good at saving money. I didn't go out and like party all the time. I just saved all the money I had. And it was just a great opportunity for me to go. And I, I wanted to learn. I wanted to see I knew, you know, in it, I really loved Italian food and going to Italy was, you know, always a dream. And I just wanted to absorb. I wanted to see how other people were doing things. Mm. That, I mean, that was my main motivation. I wanted to see how how they were doing it in France, how they were doing it in Italy, and how they were doing it at some of the best restaurants in the country. And, you know, I was very lucky to be able to do that. And most of the time I had friends in some of these cities in the U.S. where I was going to. And in Europe, you know, you write letters and you beg and plead for them to put you up and, and you work, you know, six days, 14 hour days, you know, and so they, they put you up and feed you. So, you know, it's not that expensive other than to get there. And then, you know, you're unfortunately 
Awesome, Chef. Uh, I mean, one of the things I want to get clear about before I move on, did, did you say this this gentleman that you were working for, uh, in, was he sending you to all these places? Did you work for one person while you were making all these trips and learning and just feeding your desire, your curiosity to learn? Um, I was working for a man named Mel Masters who, um, for, for the majority of the trip it was I had quit and then gone off to a couple other places but no I was you know after like two years of working I gave him my notice and said you know I think it's time to move on and he said why don't you go to New York and work at Danielle for six months mm. I, I know the guy I can get you in there and I said, okay, great. My, my family lives in New York, in New Jersey. I could stay with them. It'd be easy to commute in. And, you know, so pretty much every time for about four of the visits, I, I did, I did work from home and he just kept saying, that's fine. I'm not going to pay you while you're gone, but I can help you get in. Now, I think this is so a, I would, it's a huge lesson to take away. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, that's a no. Go ahead. I was just going to say this lesson. I mean, right now talking to people, it seems like the biggest challenge people are having in this industry is finding passionate, skilled people and retaining employees. And I, I, I found that it's the people that almost push, try to push people out of their restaurants that are able to retain these employees because they're more interested in that person's personal growth in their career than they are in their own restaurants. Would you say that's something that? was here happening with you and Mel? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it was mutually beneficial for both of us because every time I went somewhere, I'd come back and I would have all these ideas that I wanted to do. And, you know, I was able to put some stuff on the menu that was beneficial to both of us. It was a learning experience for me and it was food restaurant that was usually pretty popular. So it was that it was, you know, it was mutually beneficial or it was a good deal for both of us. Yeah. I mean, and at the yeah. restaurant I was at, we, you know, I had a co-chef, so who, who did not have interest really in traveling so much. So, you know, it, it just worked out. I mean, I don't know if he ever thought it was that fair, but to me, I always thought it was great. I mean, you were going out, improving your skill level, bringing knowledge from other places back to the restaurant. This is before the internet was huge, where you couldn't just get on Instagram or get on you know, Facebook and see what other people are doing. You needed to go check it out. And he's sending you out into the, the industry to, to work at these other places. Maybe you're going to bring something back to him. Maybe you're going to give him a new angle that he would have never considered. I mean, there's a lot of benefits for him doing that. And I think he was really smart to do that. But another thing that... It, what you did it reminds me so much of the advice that comes up in the show is just to get out there when you're fresh out of college, when you have no liabilities, when you can go get in trouble financially, maybe and be able to bounce back because you don't have a house or kids or a wife or a car payments and get that experience. Find out what drives you, what resonates with you, what kind of food, what techniques, what, what core values matter to you. And that's, I feel like that's, a big reason why you're as successful as you are today, because you took that five years, that six years to get out there and to learn and to grow. Yeah. I think that was really what helped shape me as a, a cook or a person in this industry is 
seeing other styles. I mean, I went to some restaurants where I realized that I do not want to be this kind of mm-hmm. chef and I, I want to more mentor and really just cultivate people and work with people and have fun. And I, I mean, I always take it seriously, but you know, I think at the end of the day, when you're working hard and working a lot of hours, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, then what's the point? I mean, so for me, it was always that I was always trying to take a philosophy and learn what I could and see what I didn't want to do sometimes and, and take that to what, how I treat people and how I cook and what I want our restaurants to be. Yeah, I love it. I really do. And uh, I mean, this turned out to be, I mean, you're just such a great example of how to get that experience and how to really find out who you are and who you don't want to be. And I'm sure we'll dive more into some of these things as we go on the interview, but it was five years from, or six years from the time you graduated to the time you opened your first restaurant, Mizuna. And then 16 years later, you're opening your 11th concept. I mean, you're just always pushing, always surging ahead. And, uh, Let's talk about some of your if factors, some of the things that you think have contributed to your ability to surge ahead, to be successful, to attract greatness to yourself. What are those if factors? Um, The if factors are I'm very motivated. Uh, I have, as I said earlier, I mean, I have great people I work with who, who love doing what they're doing too. And, I think sometimes, you know, people forget, think, oh, you're just opening these restaurants. You know, a lot of times you're opening, unfortunately, you're opening something more out of necessity, you know, because you have so many people that you need to feed the machine, as they say, or feed the beast. And sometimes, you know, you're opening a concept because your current level of income, you, you need raises to retain the great people that are with you. And that's part of the reason is why the concepts are always kind of different is because if we're going to open something else, let's open, you know, we, we, we can't, we could just open more Osterias or more smokehouses or more bones, but I don't know that that would be that challenging. You know, sometimes I, I think people don't realize that, you know, you have all these people that work with you and it's really important. They need to make more money and make just to retain them. So sometimes we open a concept strictly because it's a financial necessity, maybe not something we always want to do. And to me, that's the important thing about why we do so many different concepts, because we all want to be challenged when we're opening something new. It would be really easy to just keep opening Osterias or smokehouses or bones, you know, and just, reduplicate a concept but to me that wouldn't be challenging and since we're going to do something different I think everybody gets more excited about it and really challenges everybody and makes it more fun when you are opening something new and different Um, I think now at this point though in my career it is time to start 
just duplicating concepts. What you're sharing with us right now, this idea of opening restaurants to provide opportunity for other people, to be the means to the dreams of the people that are working for you, is one of the eureka moments I had uh, doing this podcast, observing successful restaurateurs like your Danny Myers, like Let Us Entertain You, like all these restaurant groups, uh, Vetri Restaurant Group or Besh Restaurant Group, what they're doing, what you're doing is you're providing opportunity for the people. You know that the people you're hiring are skilled, passionate. They have aspirations to be more, uh, to be a partner. You know, you're giving them the 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 means, like I said, to be their dreams. And you're growing laterally and expanding laterally to to king on to these people that you know. If you don't take care of them, they're just going to go do their own thing anyway. You might as well help them do it, right? Am I is that what's happening right. here? Yeah, and I I think that it's that, and you know, there's. <laughs> You know, we have a core group of people who really are not in the restaurants that oversee, you know, Banana Concepts has a parent company or Banana Concepts is our parent company. You know, there's 12 people that work in that office that really help run the restaurants that no one really ever sees. And those are some of the people that you want to retain as well. Chefs and, and, and cooks and those people you love to give them opportunity. I mean, I have a very great track record of chefs that have worked with me that have gone off to open their own restaurants, mm-hmm. which is what I'm really trying to encourage people to do is to learn how to run a restaurant and, and learn how to manage people. You know, I think there's eight people in the past what, 12 years that have gone off to open their own restaurants. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what makes me happy and, and makes me excited is to see other people's success. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a couple of things. You're opening re- other restaurants to create new opportunities, as you said, but then you're also opening restaurants because you do need cash flow for the people that are working with you that help run the whole scenes. And, you know, and it makes it a challenge. I think a lot of people don't see that side of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, some of the if factors so far, I've been writing, writing like a maniac trying to keep up with you. It's just that you're motivated, uh, you're driven, you're great to people. And not only are you good to them, but you're more interested in developing them and hoping that they go on to do their own thing. And that's what gives you happiness, getting happiness out of seeing these people grow personally and get to the point where they can open their own restaurant and do it for the right reasons and to be happy. And then you're also... I think just focused on teaching. You're an educator. You're a teacher first and foremost. I mean, are there any other if factors that you think are worth discussing at this point? Um, No, I I think you'll ask me if there's another if factor when you hear me say something. But I mean, for me, it's, it is just about really trying to enjoy what you're doing. And if you can make money at it, great. I think one of the things like, I don't really know that anyone opens their first restaurant to make money. I I think if you do open your first restaurant to make money, it's probably not going to work quite honestly. I mean, that's, that's the person that shifts (laughs) careers who has money and thinks, Oh, it'll be fun to open a restaurant. Why won't it work? Those restaurants, because I think if you're doing something solely to make money is not really a good reason to do anything. Mm. I, in, in my, especially in the restaurant business, I think you got to love what you're doing because it's so grueling. Exactly. It's such a demanding job. Money is not think a enough. Lot of people, <laughs> no, I, don't, I think a lot of people don't understand how much work yeah. running or cooking. I mean, just 
one of the chefs, how much work and responsibility is involved in running a restaurant, you know, it's, I don't think it's really understood. And that's why it's always funny when people come and want to ask me advice about doing it. Oh, I, you know, I've always, I'm a good cook at home and I want to do, I, you know, I want, I've always, everyone tells me I should open a restaurant. And usually my advice to them is just give me like $50,000 and say you did it. Mm. It'll be the cheapest advice you got. (laughs) So, um, but so I think that, you know, you, you open a restaurant. I mean, and certainly for me, my first couple were to open restaurants because I wanted to, and because I, I, I believed in the concept and I believed that I was good enough to do it. And I had people around me that could support me, especially my wife who always believes in my vision. I mean, she's quashed some, some good, some good ideas that probably were only good in my head and were, was like, this isn't going to work. This is, this is not a good concept, Tommy. And, (laughs) you know, you listen to those people. Uh, so I, I think that when you have people around you that are supporting you, because you can't do it on your own. I mean, that's the one thing I've learned is, you know, to be successful, you could be the best chef in the world or the best front of the house manager. But if you try and do everything yourself, you're never going to be successful. You, you have to rely and trust that you've, you've mentored or, or taught or explained your concept well enough to people that they can help you execute your idea or your dream, if it will be. Awesome. And I think that I, I knew that very early on I, and it could be from my business background that, you know, and I, I think it's a lot to do with the way I played a tremendous amount of sports, even in college that you're a team and, and you know, no, you could have the best, but you could have, you know, Tom Brady or Eli Manning as your quarterback but the rest of the guys are not buying into what you're doing. Your team's not going to be successful. I and I it. think the restaurant equates very much to sports. Chef, you're um, dropping so for gold, me. man. You really are. You, this is such incredible advice. Awesome stuff. So, uh, I mean, we can learn a lot from these successes, from learning about the habits and characteristics of successful people and the path they took to get to where they are. But I really, truly think that we learn the most from the failures of other people. And, I mean, the truth is these successful people, people like you, they have failures too. And that's why they learn. They fail and they move on. So when was a time, Chef, that you failed and you fell hard on your ass? And then take us through that failure and what you learned. Um, you know, I, for me, I knock on wood, I've been really <laughs> lucky that <laughs> You know, and I I just I realized think, I called you chef again. I apologize, Frank. No, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, but I think that you know, I, for me, mostly it's dishes that I put on the menu. <laughs> Those are the failures that that always stick with you. There are sometimes you do dishes on a menu and you're so excited about them. I mean, I think for me, one thing that I have is I get obsessed with an ingredient and it runs for a certain period of time. And, you know, I'm like, everybody's going to love this. And, you know, they, people just sometimes just don't like, you know, I'll put a dish on the menu and it's the biggest dog. And I, you know, I I have to like two weeks, they're like, Oh, that's got to come off. And I feel that I like to let the other chefs do that. Too. Like uh, I'll let a chef come to me and tell me the menu idea he wants to put on, and I'm like, that's never gonna sell. <laughs> but go ahead and do it. 
because I'd love to be the guy that said, I told you so. You know? Well, has so, there ever been a circumstance where you had that thought that, yeah, go ahead and do it. It's not going to sell. And then, lo and behold, to your surprise, it does? Um, trying to think. No, no not really. <laughs> okay, <then laughs> they're usually harebrained ideas. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's something that either, it, you know, and sometimes they're dishes that I, I truly believe in and love, mm-hmm. but I just know they're not going to sell. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just, you know, you you can't put sweetbreads and sea urchin and galanga root or, you know, just some, you have to have something that people understand in every dish mm. in order for someone to get, in my opinion, I, I'm, I could be totally wrong, but I think that, you know, whenever you're doing something exotic, as far as an ingredient goes, you need to give something that people understand. And sometimes as chefs, we forget that and feel like I love all this stuff and I want to eat it. But in the reality of it is you're not always cooking for yourself. Exactly. You're, you're cooking for the guests. And so you need to have something that, that they understand that they would order because, and, and so no, there are dishes that I, I've, I've been like, I, I love this. This is great. It's not going to sell. Was there a dish and that then, you knew or that you thought you, you loved and you put it out and you were like really sticking to your guns and you went beyond, I think you said two weeks before you take it off and like that you suffered from? No, I mean, because you, you don't want to fall in love with anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, it's, you know, it's like buying a house or buying a car. You, you never want to fall in love with it in case you don't get it. Yeah. So I think that there are certain things you do because you think it's a great idea. And, and sometimes they are great. And quite honestly, sometimes you can revisit it at a later point and just tweak it a little bit. And it turns out to be super successful. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean, there's nothing like that. I've been like, we're keeping this on the menu. It's got to stay on. No, because <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. Yeah. It would be like, it's like running a, an out pattern every time and they're, picking the ball off every time you throw it. I'm, I'm like, really trying to dig for that failure though. I'm trying to find out what we, I mean, we're oh, taking I, away. I mean, we opened, we opened a restaurant that failed, um, a couple of years ago. Um, and it was strictly, you know, we went into the suburbs. We opened a concept there that was very similar to Osteria. It was going to be our first foray into opening a, a light concept. And you, it, just didn't work. The people did not get it. We, we had, I think we had like eight cocktails on tap. We had, I think seven or eight wines on tap. You know, we had all natural boil and soda on the gun and we were in the suburbs and people thought that the cocktails were a ripoff because we weren't, they didn't see us pour booze in them. Um, they thought wine on tap was cheap wine. Which is funny because we had these concepts in our restaurants in the heart of city and people loved it. And we thought, let's, let's bring some of the city out to the suburbs and do things. And, you know, it was wood fired pizzas and I was very stubborn about, you know, we're not going to put chicken on a pizza. They, They just don't do that in Italy. And, you know, ranch dressing. <laughs> Why do you need ranch dressing to dip your pizza crust into? I, and we didn't do any of those things that they wanted. And I swear you would have thought we took people's kidneys when we said we didn't have diet Coke or diet Pepsi. 
<laughs> so, I mean, it's you know, that that was just something that they they didn't understand. Like, it was just and we were not willing. It took us too long to adapt mm. and to, you know, swallow our pride and say, you know, geez, we probably need to have ranch dressing to offer with the pizzas instead of our chili, homemade chili, Calabrian chili oil. Because mm-hmm. no one wanted Calabrian chili oil to dip their crust into. They wanted ranch dressing. Yeah. And so it, it was a huge failure. We struggled for like a year and a half. And, you know, it's the only restaurant that I had a partner in. So I, I, I felt really bad because, you know, it was a, a huge financial loss for him and for us. I mean, and there's you've got to take these chances sometimes though you never know really until you do it whether it's going to be a hit or whether it's going to be a flop but just listening to you talk uh it seems to me and correct me if i'm wrong frank but it seems like the failure was a lack of market research taking what you knew worked one place moving it to a different demographic to a different target audience and hoping that it was going to work again and it just it didn't catch on with these these this different demographic is that really at the core of what happened well, or you could just say I have a big ego and thought that these people would love what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're going to love Thank you for what being we're honest. doing. <laughs> Fresh mozzarella, our cocktails on tap, you know, our wine, our beer and wine program. And quite honestly, we were, we were sandwiched between, you know, all these chains that were packed and we were like, Oh good God, they're going to love an independent operated restaurant that, using real ingredients and making everything fresh every day. And this is what the suburbs should want. We were so effing wrong. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it was insane. <laughs> like I, I, and we couldn't believe it. I mean, we couldn't get out of there fast enough. I mean, forget the money. It was just like, we, these people don't, they don't care. They're not eating for the same reasons that we people are in a city. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're eating for sustenance. Mm-hmm. They're eating for convenience. They're eating because it's convenient to them as to where it's located. So it, it was not, you know, I, I think honestly, even if we had opened with ranch dressing and diet Coke and diet Pepsi and Coors light, I, I still don't think we would have been successful. I think we, you're right. We didn't do our market research. We, we we did research in other areas about what was what sales were, what volume was, what sales per square foot were. Those are things we did. We looked at it more from an analytical point mm-hmm. of view rather than from A what psycho, do these people really want to eat. Yeah. yeah, and so quite honestly, we would not have. Uh, we did not have. We I guess we weren't thinking of the customer. And I guess had we really thought about what we would have to serve, we probably wouldn't have opened up there because mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been fun and it wouldn't have been what our vision of food and quite honestly, they didn't love good service, mm-hmm. like getting re-silvered, you know, you know, like after you had your appetizers, when you took their knives and forks away, they thought you were stealing them. <laughs> and we were like, no, we're going to give you clean ones. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like they didn't understand that point of service. I mean, I it. so it was everything. I mean, it was literally people would yell at servers like, why are you taking my fork? <laughs> and they'd be like, well, because you used it and we'd like to give you a clean one for your next course. 
Uh, no, no, just leave the fork. We're, no. <laughs> I mean, that was, you know, we even had to stop doing that, like taking forks off of a plate of dirty food and putting it back on the side of the table. Like little things like that were driving us insane. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a tough thing to overcome. Like then you realize, wow, we'll leave the suburbs to the chains because they know what they're doing. Yeah, I've been writing this stuff down, trying to keep up with you, taking away the little nuggets that really stuck with me. And whether it was market research where you failed or just uh, believing your ego would be enough to carry you through, uh, it's probably maybe a combination of those two things. But then the other thing that you said that really stood out to me, Chef or Frank, uh, is that you took too long to adapt and i think that's one thing we have to listen to our restaurants we have to get that feedback and at the end of the day uh kate edwards says it best our job isn't to strive for perfection it's to strive for um satisfaction at the end of the day what matters isn't how perfect the food comes out in our opinion it's how satisfied our customers are with the food that's what we're aiming for and you why this is so important is you only get one shot right chef we're frank. Yeah, you only get one shot. <laughs> you only get one shot, and if you lose these people the first time they come in, um, they're not going to give you maybe a second chance. But if if you don't get it right the second time, you have a really short window to pivot, adapt, and to uh, get it right to to meet those those um, customer satisfactions and what they're looking for. Would you agree with that? I would agree with it, and you're right. It was not doing the market research. Um, it was it was such a conundrum because you would have people that would come to that restaurant that ate at Osteria Marco downtown, and you'd see them. Like, I was there. I would see a couple on a Wednesday that I know was eating at Osteria on a Saturday, and yet they were having two different dining experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, that, like... No, boy, downtown, a glass of tap wine from Italy with, you know, a story about it was great on a Saturday night out. But on a Wednesday night, no, they were with their kids. It was they were looking for a different experience. You know, like, no, they're they're not going to have a glass of wine. They're going to have iced tea They're Yeah. You know, it was and we didn't realize that quick enough. I mean. And I think the thing that kept our ego stoked was is so many people were so happy that we had opened in the suburbs so that they didn't have to drive downtown, <laughs> but yet there's not enough of them. Yeah. <laughs> that was really the biggest problem. I get it. So you, and if you, once we started making changes, those people were like, oh, why are you doing this? Oh, you know, why, why did you put this? Why did you take that off the menu and put this on? Mm-hmm. You know, it was just so it, we were getting some mixed signals, it was, but it was from a very few select yeah. people that were regulars of ours that kind of kept us on our path. And, you know, I, I think that my partner had ego, too, because he wanted to name the restaurant after it was called Banano Brothers mm-hmm. Pizzeria. And he, uh, my wife and I were both like, I don't love the name. And he's like, no, people recognize your name that's going to help be a draw. Yeah. And my wife and I were like, nah, I don't, you know, I don't know about that in the suburb. <laughs> Should have listened to and, the wife. You know, <laughs> well, no. So we ended up listening to our partner because he was paying for almost everything. And 
you know, it, it, those were one of those things like where, you know, he also had ego and was like, this is, I'm bringing this great chef out to the suburbs. Yeah. This is and, turning out to be you know, just an awesome lesson, chef. We are learning a, a ton from this. Uh, we got to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Have you ever found yourself just wishing you could have your own personal assistant? I mean, oh, to have your own assistant in the restaurant business, man, that'd be nice. Well, now it's possible with Upserve. Upserve is your assistant that helps you make small, easy changes that dramatically improve your bottom line. It does this by harnessing the power of data. Let's be honest, most restaurants don't use data well, but it's not their fault. There's two big reasons why. First, your data is disconnected, which limits its power. And second, even the data that you've got isn't fast and easy to use by 2016 standards. Well, Upserve can help you with that. To learn more, simply schedule a free demo by going to resources.upserve.com upserve.com slash restaurant unstoppable again that's resources.upserve.com slash restaurant unstoppable what are you waiting for get on it we're back and the first question i have for you chef is what is your advice uh for getting that initial capital that that initial money to get started in your first restaurant times have changed a lot in 15 years mm-hmm. i can tell you that mm-hmm. um the days of opening a restaurant you know, we were very lucky. I had a partner who opened my first restaurant with me and, you know, we were able to buy a restaurant from a friend that we knew who had a very successful restaurant and he just was done. He had two twins and really wanted to spend time with them. So, you know, he carried a big part of the purchase price of the restaurant and we did it the old fashioned way. We literally just went to a bank and borrowed money. Mm-hmm. And in those days, we had a good enough reputation that they lent us the sum of money. We, you know, begged and borrowed for everything we needed and were able to open the restaurant with just our own money. And the restaurant was very successful. And we were able to save all of our money. And we we were very frugal and able to then do the same thing for our second location, which was happened to be literally right around the corner. So what percentage so, did you save on your own before you started looking for uh, help from banks? Uh, we were able to come up with about 50% wow. of the money ourselves. Is this money that you're saving um, from, you know, just out of college? Or did you, how long did you start saving for this, this moment? Oh, I had saved, you, you know, I mean, I had money in the bank. Yeah. You know, I cashed in some, some stocks that I had from when I was a kid and, you know, my partner was able to do the same thing. And, you know, we, we, you know, you borrow, he borrowed some from family and, you know, just as a personal loan, not as partners. And, uh, what does that say to banks? If you're able to put down 50%, are they more likely to give you the rest? Even if it is say like another million dollars, if you putting down, you know, that much, is that a sign of commitment on your behalf? You know, it's just, it's a different world now. I mean, I look at, you know, if we opened Salt and Grinder, just a small deli. I mean, the thing was like $200,000 to open a, a small deli. You know, <laughs> I think we opened, you know, Mizuna for just a little bit over that. <laughs> so it, it's, things have changed and banks have changed. I mean, I think after 2007 and 2008, you know, quite honestly, we, we went to a bank, 
that we had done business with for eight years and, you know, had all our money with them. And I think we went for like, I think it was like $75,000 loan at the time. We thought, God, that's nothing. You know, I'm putting in all this cash. You know, I'd like to just finance a little bit of it. And they said, no. Wow. And I was like, are you kidding me? We, we have a lot of money going through your bank as deposits, but the financial crisis that hit this, bank was hit particularly hard. You know, a lot of banks had loans going bad. So I think that after that, going to a bank became very difficult for people. Uh, for a lot of people, we were able to then move all, all of our money from one bank to a, a new smaller bank that was opening up. And they've really just been super helpful in our growth. I mean, so, that you know, I think I'm one of the few that it, you know, ten concepts and no investors. Wow. My wife and I own everything. We have partners who are the people that work with us. There's Adam. There's Nick. There's Emily. Um, do you put like a percentage Chris. away? Like, do you have a formula that you use to make sure that money is there for that constant growth? Like, what percentage are you investing? Like, is how do you set it up? Um. We try and it it just depends on what we're doing. Yeah. Like I, I have to tell you that you, you never know when an opportunity restaurants are very much opportunity driven. Like mm -hmm. the space becomes available. You start looking at it and then you start figuring out how you're going to finance it. And quite honestly, now it's, I can finance it almost solely through my bank. Yeah. So because of my track record is good and I we have quite honestly a shit ton of deposits <laughs> that go through the bank. Yeah. <laughs> so when is you cursing say, okay? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I want you to be authentic. Uh, so when you say that something's different, um, or it's different today, are you mainly just talking about the ability to get the capital? It's it's way more challenging now. Is that the point the at the core? Yeah, I I mean like a lot of kids come to me and they're like, Oh, I found the space. I really want to do it. And I'm like, well, go to a bank and I, I'll <laughs> recommend our bank or two other banks or SBA loans. And, and they'll come back and be like, no, they, they, <laughs> they'll, they'll lend me 25,000 yeah. and I need a hundred. And I'm always like, ah, oh, shit, really? I, you know, so it, it is, they're just looking for more, which then makes people have to go get investors. So, Chef, let me ask you, like, what would you do now? If you were opening a restaurant right now, your first restaurant, you're in the shoes of these kids, what would you do to get the capital? Oh, you'd be, I'd be going out and hitting up friends mm -hmm. and family. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, and, then, and then taking that capital and then going to a bank and say, look, I have 70% of the cash to do this, which I think is what banks are looking for. Banks are looking for you to have a ton of capital to put into it and there'll be a bridge loan for you. Yeah. So I, I think that's how it's changed. I mean, I, but you know, that I think it's kind of like wall street, man. If you have the money, you can borrow the money. It definitely. Gives and you it, some it's leverage. kind of a, yeah, it's kind of a, a, an unfair playing field. I feel for some, but you know, I've invested in people that have worked for me. I've invested in their restaurants and, um, you know, I think that that's, you know, that's helped them. And then 
to having my name in it going to a bank sometimes works. Yeah, I would say just uh, one thing I know is people doing is they if they want to open their own place, they they go and work for the, the people that they know. If they are truly you know passionate and truly uh, skilled, and they really develop that rapport and trust with somebody and uh you'll be surprised at how many people today because of that formula that you're implementing where they're giving opportunity to people letting their people grow laterally with their company you, you might be able to partner with somebody who is on that rapid growth rate like you are so be be smart about who you go to work with be smart with somebody you know to work for somebody who will invest in you in your growth as a, in your career um and that i think that's one thing that people you say people come to you do you think that's true uh, yeah, I mean, people have come to me and asked if I'd want to invest, and yeah. just depends on whether I feel like it's a good concept or if I have the money to do it at that time. I saw something you that know, was sometimes. I saw something ahead. that was really interesting with Wednesday's pies. Uh, you started, I mean, the whole idea every Wednesday you'd have pies, but now it's seven days a week. Was that um, meant to? Were you testing a concept? Was were you, were you doing market research there? What did you? Want maybe see if it would work if it if it caught on you would put more into it. I see like maybe it was some some scalability going on there. Was that the intent or what happened there? Uh, well, that that's a good story that you're spinning. But the truth is, is uh, <laughs> when we were when we were opening Green Russell, we had an area that would lead into the bar, and you know this was what five or six years ago, probably five years ago. I think Green Russell and. Um, we knew we wanted to do, we don't even speak these words anymore, but like a speakeasy style bar. Yeah. So we wanted a front to get into it. And I, I truly love making pie and my wife likes making pie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I actually said we should do a donut shop mm. <laughs> as the front and sell donuts every day. And Jacqueline said, you know, I, I think pies, I think pies are going to be hot. We should do pies. And we literally put it out on Twitter and Facebook. Wow. And asked, what would you rather have, a pie shop or a donut shop? And pie won, so we opened a pie shop. Um, and we, we do sell pie, and the restaurants sell the pies. Um, and, and that was literally why we did a pie shop. Awesome. Because we needed, and we had to fill an area in the restaurant. Interesting. Cool. I was curious about that. Thanks for <laughs> elaborating. So, um, yeah, no, it, it should be a better story, but truly it's just like we, we had this area you, that we, you, you never we know. needed to fill. Yeah. You never know where you're going to have the next, where, where things are going to spread out. And it sounds like it's doing great. So congratulations on that. Yeah, no, I holidays, holidays and stuff. We do great. And we sell the buys in smokehouse and green Russell. And then during holidays, mm-hmm. all the restaurants will carry a pie. Awesome. Um, Man, there's so many things. Like now, I'm curious how much of your concepts are built on the idea of cross-selling and working with the other concepts to to kind of like supply. Like your you have a um, Salumi program. Yeah, like do, our, so. So our Salumi program, uh, really, that only crosses, I guess, the three concepts, which is salt and grinder, the deli, mm-hmm. and the, really the only reason we opened the deli is because I was looking for a place to make all the salumi because truly that is one of my passions is making salumi. Yep. And I've been doing it for 14 years. Three of those years I've been legal to do it. (laughs) Um, that was really the thought behind it. You know, the space is 
two blocks from my house. You know, I, I was just really leasing the space to do a salumeria in the basement. And my wife, Jacqueline, was like, it's two blocks from my house. We can't have an empty storefront upstairs. <laughs> the neighbors would hate us because it's in a really nice little neighborhood with shops and stores. And I was like, all right, all right, we'll just do a East Coast delis upstairs. No big deal. We can, you know, we can slice the stuff and put it on sandwiches. And, you know, the, the, the deli, Song Nine Delhi turned out to be very lucrative. It's very busy. Yeah. So, so when you supply the deli with uh, the salami, these these uh, cured meats that you're doing, are are those showing up in the commerce, like on the books as a business transactions? Are you selling to? Yeah, from we sell to it. Business? We sell it to Luca and Osteria Marco. Uh-huh. Hmm. So that was really the reason for doing it was is that we needed a space to really have production of it mm-hmm. and to be able to supply that's smart supply it to the restaurants because we sell a tremendous amount of meat and cheese mm-hmm. plates or just salumi plates so i always wanted to have a, a, a really legit so salumeria there's really more than just opening concepts and trying new concepts there's a lot of planning and, and collaboration going on here it seems like yeah i mean especially for salt and grinder mm-hmm. i mean that whole restaurant was open with the premise of supplying Luca and Osteria with salumi. Yeah. Man, and then I, it morphed <laughs> into something bigger. I've got to exercise some self-discipline here and continue on with the interview. I mean, I could talk about this all day, but uh, we still have a few more questions, and I want to respect your time, Frank. So uh, we we spent some time talking about the importance of people and developing people, uh, your, your advice on hiring and managing and retaining. Is there anything else you want to add to some of the things we already mentioned earlier in the interview? Um, I think it's just that, you know, you want to find like-minded people that have passion and, and, and really respect what they're doing and, and want to go on and be successful. I mean, that's really what you're looking for or people that really love what they're doing and want to stay with you mm-hmm. and help you grow and look for opportunities. I mean, we have several people that don't have ambitions to open their own restaurant. They, want to make as much money as they can running and opening and helping you move on. I mean, we have managers that have moved into the, the main uh, holding group. I don't know what you would call our, our concept group. And you know, that's, that some people that's their goal is they want to be in upper management and they work hard and show that they, they would have a affinity for that. So I think you're just, it's looking to hire people that have like-minded philosophies as you and it's fine as far as like figuring out who you are i mean at the core of figuring like trying to find those people who are like you i mean are you putting yourself out there a certain way so you're attracting you're selling yourself to people so people know who you are what your core values are what your vision and mission are is that a big part of it i I don't think you can sell yourself to anyone because then i think you would come off as crazy or egotistical. Okay. I think you're getting people who do their research or who ask questions to people that work with you and they, they find you. I, I don't think you can go out. I think you can go out and probably use headhunters and find people. But I think if you're finding people that way, those are not people that necessarily want to come yeah. work for you. Those are people that are just coming because you have the best offer on the table. Yeah. And, and there is some of that that still goes on. I mean, we will hire people that, have never 
don't even know who we are, but they're super qualified. Yeah, and I'll just put it up And there. I just don't I, think they're long-term hires. The one thing I noticed about you is you put yourself out there and you make it easy for people to research you. You have your blogs where you're talking about what you're doing, what you're passionate about, the things that matter to you. You're on YouTube. You have all these interviews. Like you engage. If you put your, The point I'm trying to make is if you put yourself out there with your brand as far as what your core values are, just you know, having your, your authentic voice talking about what drives you, make it easy for people to find you and to resonate with you. And I see that happening with you. Is, is that a far fetch? Am I stretching it a little too far there? Or do you, would you agree? With I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess when you put it like that, that's, I guess what we're doing. <laughs> I, I think we're just doing things we like doing. Exactly. And it's that and, simple. And if people yeah. find us for that. Yeah. Then great. But I, I don't think that you can, you can if you have to sell yourself to a prospective hire, you know that's you know you do a little bit of that, but you're usually doing that with the benefits that come with working for mm-hmm. the company, not necessarily the benefits that come from working with me. Yeah. So I think that that's really all you could sell is yeah. you know health insurance, time off, you know, because we're not the highest paying company in Denver for sure. So. Hey guys, what's up? It's Eric. Uh, Duh. Anyway, I just wanted to give you a quick heads up that you're about to hear a really annoying uh, background noise when Chef Bonanno is uh, speaking and just know that it doesn't last for long. I just spent like a half hour trying to like hide it editing it but i just couldn't figure it out uh just know that it only goes on for like a minute and then we recycle the phone call and it's way better again so thank you for understanding and i promise it won't last long he has some great great advice during this section so don't skip it all right here we go you know so you would want to work with us if you're going to come work if you're going to take this this position so i get it yeah it's yeah (laughs) awesome so let me ask you what are your current challenges what are you like what what's your restaurant group really challenging with right now what are you doing to combat that challenge um there's just a lack of employees i mean denver is growing exponentially and restaurants are popping up every day so I think that, you know, it is just truly a challenge to find people. And sometimes you're having to take people or overpay people that are not as qualified to do a position. But, you know, hopefully through training and everything, you can bring them up to speed on what you're doing. So right now it's just a challenge to hire everywhere, and especially the food industry here in Colorado. What are you doing to uh, combat that challenge? Like, uh, how are you you know, positioning yourself to stand out for those better uh, suited employees. You know, I would love to tell you we're trying to do a lot of things, but the truth is, is you're not, there's nothing you can do. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can put ads up in every forum there is. You don't even get responses. Oh man. And, And that's happening to every chef and restaurant person in the city. There's just no one looking to fill the position. It's a very, trying time right now so what do you I, think? like I, I wish i could tell you there's some <laughs> magic that people have but there there really isn't there's just not people i just talked to another chef he's like we've had ads up for line cook for busboy 
for weeks. We, we don't even get a resume. Like, or we don't even get anyone that shows up. I mean, we've gone to just doing other restaurants too. Like, just oh, show up. Oh, man. Uh, between like one and four on Wednesday. And, and you're not having anyone even show up. That is, yeah. It's just a crazy time right it's now in Denver. By far the biggest I think challenge. the country. Yeah, it's by far the biggest challenge that people, when I ask this question, it, that's what comes up every time is. Uh, just a lack of uh, talent, a lack of people who, to work who are passionate. Nobody, there's nobody. Um, it's it's interesting to see what's going to happen there. Um, Jeff, I'm going to hang up and call you right back because there's some weird noise in the background when you talk, and I think maybe if I just like recycle, it will be better. And we have like, just a couple more questions. We'll be done. Okay. All right. Thanks. How's that? Beautiful. Better. Great. So, um, okay. let me ask you, chef, with all the things you do, uh, how, you know, you, you have, you're working on your 11th concept. You, you golf, you play squash, you go to the gym every morning, you go to all of your kids games, you have time for your wife and you're still happy. Like, what do you think it is? If there's one thing that you think allows you to do all these things, what is it? Um, I think it's just that I'm in a career that, I love, and, you know, I have worked very, very hard. I mean, the thing is, like, I did miss the first four years mm-hmm. my kids watched. You know, that, that there's, you know, there were no, thank God there were no games or anything, yeah. and I think now I'm just trying to make up for that, you know, being home for dinner. You know, it wasn't until about four years ago I was actually home for dinner more than one night a week. But how do you get away so, from the restaurants? The people that you're putting in place to run it, do you have tight systems, processes, procedures? What's one thing you can, you know, attribute the ability for you to get away? The people that I work with. Mm. <laughs> it's, it. it's it's hiring good people who care and 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 also love what they're doing. I think that's the only thing that you can have. Mm. It, you have to have people you trust. If you don't trust people, it's like I said, it, you know, there's a million ways to bone out a chicken. If I tell you I need a boneless chicken and I show you my way to do it, if you do it differently, I'm not going to say no to that just so you end up with the same boneless chicken I had. And I think that that's where you have to trust people to get the end result the best they can. And, you know, they may have different ways of going about getting to the end result. Mm -hmm. So, I, I think you have to trust people and let them do their job that you've hired them to do and that you're paying them to do. If, yeah. if you if you feel like you have to be there all the time, I, I think you might be doing something wrong. I think the key word there was trust. You really uh, have to yeah. establish that trust, that rapport with your people. And you can't get trust if you don't give trust first. Before, I mean, I think that's one thing you do. You give trust. And when you give trust to people, they want to trust you back. And I, I think that's just listening to you talk and the way you you know, tell your stories. I think that's something that definitely happens in your restaurant group. So, Chef, let me ask you, if there's one book that has – whether it's a business book or uh, a cookbook or a personal growth book, any kind of book that is a must read for somebody in this industry, a book that has had an impact on you, what would it be? Danny Meyer setting the table. Mm, Absolutely. What's the biggest lesson from that book that you had? Customers come first and your employees are right there with them. Like a question we always ask in an interview, who's more important, the guest or the, or this, or the employee. And you know, he answers that question. It's, Neither one. They're both important. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so you, you need to respect both a lot. Absolutely. And I think that that's one of the most important lessons that I took away from the book. Yeah, that is a must read. And it's, it's, uh, I think it's only like $15 or $20. And if you, I mean, if you don't have time, if your excuse is you don't have time to read, get it on audio. Listen to it with your team every morning or every afternoon before, you know, instead of having music playing, listen to that book. Uh, you can get it on audio for free if you don't already have an account with Audible Trial. Just head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable and you can get that book for free if you haven't signed up yet. And it, I think it is probably the first book that everyone should read if they're really um, serious about, you know, hospitality in a career. It's, he's, it's such a impactful book to every employee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But let, let's talk about technology. Uh, I, I look at technology as being a uh, accelerator of systems, processes, procedures, uh, buying time back, be, closing the gaps and really just being as efficient as possible. So what technologies are you using to do those things to, to be more profitable, to be more efficient? Uh, let us know. You're asking the wrong guy. I barely didn't how to work my phone. <laughs> Just um, so you know, you have to think, tell, but this is the third time that the call's dropped. Uh, technology allows us to make oh. it so you don't know, but it's no big deal. <laughs> you know, I think that it's the POSs, it's the computer systems, it's all of that stuff. I mean, you know, Mizuna and Luca didn't have a POS until about a year and a half ago. Oh, we wow. ran with handwritten tickets, and, you know, it was about a year and a half ago. That have we put s- in a computer system. Have you seen an impact since? Is, are things better now? More is communication better? Are things more organized? Uh, honestly, no. It's about the exact same. Huh. It's a little faster for the servers because they don't have to manually calculate tickets. Do you think that? But uh, no, it, they're small restaurants, so yeah. it's you, you know, with fifty seat restaurant, it's it's not that difficult. It's really only probably seventeen or nineteen tickets a night. You yeah. know, when you're you know, you're doing 80 covers. Do you think making it easier on your employees and making it or employers or servers has made it so they can better serve your guests? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, yeah, I think cause they, they are not spending as much mm-hmm. time writing and doing that. Um, you know, they, the, the staff there did not want it quite mm-hmm. honestly. They didn't <laughs> want the POS. Wow. They were very accustomed. They didn't want that. Nobody likes change. You know? Yeah. Yeah, no one likes change. Now, now I, I don't think anyone would say we love it, but they will tell you it's faster and easier. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that they love it. Um, <laughs> but for us, for the first time ever, to really be able to look at sales by range reports, mixed reports, you know, just the financial reports in general, mm-hmm. inventory, all of those things, it certainly makes it easier for the CFO, yeah, Nick, to, to do his job. But I, I would say, techn- I mean, I would say, you know, social media mm-hmm. is is big, and you know, I I may not be that technically savvy, but I certainly do love Twitter and Instagram, and I, I enjoy doing that, and I think that can help you. But How I, it help I think you? it's just oh, I think it's a good way to express yourself. Mm. Like if I see if I make something and I'm like, God, this looks good, I'll put I'll put it out there. So sometimes I'm putting something on Instagram rather than putting it on the menu to see if yeah. people like it. And I think it goes back to the yeah. conversation we had earlier with putting yourself out there and making yourself out, you know, known to, to potential employees, not just your guests, but to, to really develop who we are and what we're all about so you can find those good people to come work for you. Right. Awesome. Do you want to add anything to that? 
No, I'm good with okay. <laughs> so, chef, <laughs> chef, if I could, uh, or if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of business advice, say it's it's 2001, you're just about to open your first restaurant. If you could give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Um, just make sure you stay true to what you're doing. Mm. Uh, like, make sure your concept stays true. I mean, I've been very lucky that I have always been true to whatever concept we've opened with. And if it's struggled, I'm always like, this is what we're doing. You have to have, you know, you have to have a mission statement Mm -hmm. in any business plan. And I think that you have to stick to it. I think that it's back to that comment earlier about guys that want to open a restaurant. Yeah. And then you'll look at their menu and there's enchiladas, there's a cheeseburger, there's spaghetti and meatballs. There's a gyro on the menu. (laughs) They're trying to be everything to everybody. Yeah. And, and that usually does not work. Mm-hmm. Some people get lucky and you're just in the right location and, you know, it can work. But for the most part, I think that for me, it's knowing, knowing what you're doing. I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to pick one thing that I, I think it's always being aware of the money. Mm-hmm. That That's the one thing, you know, that was always very important when, when I started out was, Knowing where the money was, and like how much I of know for the your background in finance has to do with that not that just knowledge of how important managing the money is. It, well, it's funny because my wife did the book <laughs> for like the first seven years. She did every bank reconciliation, and we would do them together. We would make a game of doing a bank reconciliation. Wow. Her nickname <laughs> for a little while was "To the Penny." She wouldn't let. She wouldn't let three cents go oh, man. on a bank reconciliation. Like we'd have to find that three cents, wow. whether it was a server check that didn't get cashed or it was just a misring. And, um, you know, so we always knew that was really important to us and that like paying attention to the money and paying attention to the guests and what the guests want. Those were the two things that, you know, when you asked that, like, the lessons you learn, that's the lesson you learn is know where your money is going and what you're spending it on and how you can save more without, you know, compromising the quality of what you're doing. Um, those are really things. And I guess that's back to the technology question is mm-hmm. that with technology so good and these reports you're able to generate, you can, you know, go, you know I can find out if we're 3% up on yeah. produce. Yeah. You know, so you, you I, I might not be able to figure out how and to get that, but I can get a report that shows me that. Not only can you find it, but you can find it a bajillion times faster than you would have been able to going through the book. Oh, yeah. I mean, hours. it can instantly. We could tell you that it's romaine. I mean, we can narrow it down to romaine lettuce. What's gone tool, up in price by. What tool are you using you know? to do that? What is it just a POS? Is there something, uh, something that. It's our POS. Uh, you know, you have to enter all your invoices and, you know, it, it cross. It crosses into your POS, which, your product mix. Do you mind me asking which service you decided to go with? Uh, right now, we're using MyAxis. We're actually a guinea, pig for a, new, a, a guinea pig for a new company. Well, I'm happy that they're... I'm, I'm sure that they're happy that you're uh, sharing their name right now on Restaurant Unstoppable. Get the word out there about their service. Yeah, I don't, I don't think our managers feel that way, but... <laughs> you know, because there's a lot of problems that arise with a brand new POS, as you can imagine, but... Well, you know, we, we thought that they were a good company and what they 
were doing, especially reporting wise, was something we wanted in the in the top office. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, your managers, when it's crashing on a Saturday night, they don't really give a shit that you can pull great reports. <laughs> they, they just need to run credit cards. Oh man! So you know, it's trying, and and you know, so you live and learn, and that's yeah. the lesson you learn. So, Chef, let me ask you: What's one question I could have asked you to add more value to this interview? Uh, I don't know. You've asked me a lot of questions. I know. I, 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 <laughs> uh, well, what, what's one question you haven't asked that you want to ask? <sighs> See, I can throw it back at you. Oh, you did, didn't but, you? I don't know. I think, I mean, I, I, I got everything out of you. That, everything that was really interesting about you that I wanted to cover, I think we, we touched upon today. Um, I just, yeah. I think All right. Was- well, here's the question then. Do you still love what you're doing? Well, all right then. Do you still love what you're doing? I do. Actually, <laughs> I, I couldn't awesome. think of anything else I would want to do. I, I mean, I would like to play golf more often, <laughs> but do I love what the restaurant business and industry has given me? Yes, I do. I think yeah. this is an unbelievable industry. And I think right now it's a tough time with employees but I think once employees or, or people start realizing that this is a really big industry and there is a way to make a career doing it, that you can make a great living doing this, this industry. And I think right now we're just going through because there's so many other job opportunities that people still kind of have in the back of their mind, like the restaurant business is always like a temp job. Yeah. yeah. And I think once we get, we can get past that, I think that people will realize, you know, it's more than just a temp job. You can really make great money doing this and Mm -hmm. you don't have to wait tables or bus tables to do it. You could move up. Well, you are a great example of that. And I think all the assets you've created for yourself over these past 16 years, you'll get plenty of time to play golf in the future. I have a feeling. (laughs) Um, So so, uh, thank you so much. Frank, for joining me as a guest mentor, you had some, you know, just incredible actionable advice that we can all take with us and make us all better in our careers. Uh, who is one person that you think would just be a great guest mentor like you have been for us today? Um, I think, well, obviously Danny Myers, I think <laughs> someone like Chef Keller. If you could help me connect um, with Chef Danny Meyer, that would be <laughs> great. And Chef Keller. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't have a connection with him, but I, I you know, I, I think um, Jennifer Jasinski here in Denver All is right. a, a great mentor. I, I really do. I think she's she's exactly doing what I'm doing. Jennifer Jasinski. Or I'm doing what she's doing. Yeah. Awesome. Look out, Jennifer. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And, Chef, let everybody know how we can connect with you. Maybe you've inspired us to want to come work for you. How can we connect? Just frankbonano.com, I guess. Twitter? Right? Yeah, Twitter is great, or Facebook. I don't, I don't know. We check them all. I check them all. And um, just check out our restaurants, Banano Concepts. Awesome. It's another great way to connect with us. I'll have all the links in the show notes. Just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 225. You'll find the links in a summary of today's conversation right there. Frank. Thank you again for taking the time out of your busy, busy schedule to sit with me for almost an hour and 20 minutes now uh, to just learn about what makes you unstoppable. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And good luck in the future to you. Thank you so much, Frank. Cheers. All right. Cheers. 
Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode of Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to Chef Frank Bonanno. Awesome episode. So much great advice today. Uh, I just love your passion for people, uh, knowing that you can't do it without the people, having that trust in your people. Uh, just, just, just tons of great advice to be taken away from today's episode. And uh, like always, guys, let me know who you want to hear from. Who's somebody you think would be a great guest on the show? Always trying to keep that funnel filled with just new people to talk to, new people to, to take lessons away from. So if you know of anybody, let me know. Reminder to leave those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. My goal is to be the number one restaurant podcast on iTunes. I'm one spot away, guys. Let's get there. And then also, uh, yeah, if you're interested in that mastermind group, I, I think I have uh, enough people. But just in case, everybody... Uh, or not everybody sticks around and really follows through with it. Keep on sending me those emails. I might have room. We might be able to squeeze you in. So that's Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Uh, if you were interested in that mastermind group, hoping to get that started the first of the month, uh, May 1st, we'll be getting those meetings together. And, you know, I've been thinking about what I'm going to do, uh, how I'm, I need to start thinking about how I'm going to monetize the show. People keep telling me this, uh, and I was going to monetize the mastermind, but I think right now I'm more concerned about making sure that, uh, we're, we're helping each other out. And I had such a wide range of what people would say they're, they're willing to pay for something like that. I'm just going to go based off donations guys. Um, so if you're interested, whatever you can afford, it's whatever you you can do. If you can't afford anything, I don't care. I want to make sure that you're getting value and that you're you're growing as a professional. And I know somehow, some way, it will come back to serve me. But uh, five people, I'm pretty sure I have those five people already. We're going to meet once a month. We're going to share ideas. We're going to be a support group for one another. We're going to read books together, hold each other accountable, set goals together. That's what it's all about. It's going to be tons of fun. If you're interested, there still might be space. Shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. And um, what else? Am I forgetting anything? Share the podcast. Don't forget to share the podcast. Uh, I can't think. My mind's tired. It's been a long day. But uh, like always, guys, thanks so much for joining me. And until next time, peace out.